podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. The idea of mindful leadership is not exactly new. In an essay entitled Instructions to the Head Cook, Dogen, the founder of Zen in Japan during the 13th century, advised that the head cook embrace three core practices, or three minds, while leading the kitchen. These are joyful mind, the mind that accepts and appreciates everything, grandmother mind, the mind of unconditional love, and wise mind, the mind that can embrace the reality of change and be radically inclusive. Mindfulness practice itself originated within rich spiritual traditions that have developed and transformed over thousands of years. Historically, people tend to be drawn to mindfulness practice during times of rapid change, which are accompanied by high levels of stress, volatility, and uncertainty. Times much like those we live in right now, in addition, over the centuries, mindfulness has been adapted and integrated to meet the most vibrant and pressing needs of society, not only influencing spiritual traditions, but seeping into many facets of daily life and culture, including the arts, food, education, work, and beyond. Valeria Tellez interviews Mark Lesser, the author of Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen. Mark Lesser is a speaker, facilitator, executive coach, workshop leader, and Zen teacher. Mark helped develop the Search Inside Yourself mindfulness program within Google and was the founding CEO of Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. Mark founded and was CEO of three companies and has an MBA degree from New York University. Prior to his business and coaching career, he was a resident of the San Francisco Zen Center for 10 years and director of Tassajara Zen Mountain Center and the first Zen monastery in the Western world. Meet Mark at marklesser.net. Here is the interview with Mark Lesser. In your own words, who is Mark Lesser? Oh, you're going to start with the, the <laughs> hardest questions. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hmm. Well, I'd say that uh, Mark Lesser is a, is a seeker and a author and a father and a husband and a Zen teacher, uh, a mindfulness teacher. Yeah, anyhow, that's a good, that's a place to start. When you say seeker, so that kind of inspired me to ask you a question. What are you seeking? I recently um, mentioned uh, several 
several books that I was suggesting that people read. And one of them, uh, I think I think I recommended uh, two books by Shunryu Suzuki, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and Not Always So. And mm-hmm. I also recommended um, Peter Senge's book, The Fifth Discipline. And I said to summarize them, to summarize these three books, mm-hmm. uh, the world is not what it seems. <laughs> right. <laughs> and... And, and I think, um, mm. so I, I'd say that I'm, uh, I, I'm seeking to understand the world more and I'm, I'm seeking to understand what, what reality actually is and noticing that we can't help, you know, we can't help to be interpreting, interpreting reality. Uh, but I think there's something about recognizing that, of course, we are filtering. We are filtering everything through our through our senses. We're filtering everything through our our past experiences, our assumptions and beliefs, and uh, and and I think that 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 assumption opens up like that. We're that if you live with that understanding, then we're all seeking we're all seeking we realize we realize that what we're what we are experiencing is a you know a partial is is very limited in some way i agree a thousand times and i wonder if it is possible to live without assumptions and without beliefs yeah i don't think so <laughs> yeah me too mark what comes to mind when you think about the closest way of navigating this reality without assumptions, judgment, and beliefs? Yeah, I, I don't think there's, you know, it's not that there's anything wrong with right. Um, right. assumptions, judgments, and, and beliefs. I think as long as, as long as there's some awareness that we are, that we're always, <laughs> and, 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 and that, so like, as I'm, as I'm having this conversation with you, I'm, I'm really, awa- I'm aware and, and curious, really interested in what your um, assumptions and, and beliefs, beliefs might be, uh, what my, what, what mine are, what, um, what we have in common and, and what, um, uh, what I can learn, what I can learn from you right here in this, in this moment, in this conversation. That might be the closest thing, just being open to what comes the way it comes, what's happening now, what life Springing, presenting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I also think about when the other the other thing that I thought of, the other road I considered going down when you asked me that question, <laughs> yeah. was was thinking about um, meditation practice mm-hmm. and especially especially doing long retreats. And I feel like there's some there's some uh, deeper touching of a different way of seeing and being that can that can happen when. Yeah, kind of just as much as you know, tur- turning turning off all of the usual the usual doings doings and distractions that we have in our in our lives. There is one section in your book: keep making it simpler. That really resonates for some reason. Yeah, and it's hard. It's you know, it's uh, and and in some way, I think it is. It's very interesting uh, 
intuitive of you in, in, in the way that you started this conversation to bring in that, that particular practice. Cause I think, I think in some way the, uh, you know, keep making it simpler is, uh, it's an aspiration. It's something, it's something that I think uh, I'm seeking for, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeking, I'm, so when you, I, that could, that would have been a good answer. Um, I'm seeking, I'm seeking to simplify. I'm seeking to, to strip away the things that, that, uh, that don't matter so much. And yeah. And, and I think that's, um, I mean, that's often how I, how I describe that practice is the practice of, of seeking for and coming, coming as close as possible to what really matters in your, in your life, what really matters in your relationships, in your work, in your actions, that there's some, um, there's some sense of, yeah, the, the word, uh, yeah, the, the word simple, it's, it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite do it, but, but I think there is something about, right. Keep, keep making it simpler. It has a, has a good feeling about it. It kind of, um, yeah, it makes me like breathe deeper. Yeah. When, when I, uh, you know, in, in doing, I've done a fair amount of, you know, teaching and talks about these seven practices of Mm -hmm. a mindful leader and, and I, and I find when I get to the seventh one and I say, mm-hmm. keep making it simpler, people's shoulders drop a little mm-hmm. bit, right? There's like, ah, oh, yes, all these, so many things we're supposed to remember, <laughs> all these things we're supposed to do. Uh, ah, just, no, just let it all go. Just, just keep mm-hmm. making it simpler. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book that will include the seven practices of a mindful leader. So your book subtitle is Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen. What is your idea in understanding of success? What is to be successful? <laughs> uh, success. Um, I don't know. <laughs> success. I think, well, maybe, maybe a simple definition, uh, loving yourself and helping others. Would be, uh, I think, uh, you know, success. You know, maybe from a maybe a more a more practical definition might um, maybe might also include some kind of um, uh, depth in relationships and financial sustainability. Right. So if I think about like, what, what do I think of as business success would include financial sustainability, but would include um, probably some combination of serving, you know, it's about business success would be about service, would be about serving, serving others. And that brings me to the topic of unconditional self-love. It's a question that I often ask. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Of course. Yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah, I, I believe in unconditional self-love as well as conditional self-love. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, and I think, um, for, for whatever reason, we humans have a hard time with it. I think it's, um, somehow connected to our, uh, our evolution 
that we've that we've we've evolved i think to to feel dissatisfied mm-hmm. right that this yeah. is this is a big part of our evolution you know being dissatisfied is good for staying alive uh, and and uh, and passing on our genes, right? Always, you know, and and it's good for, it's it's good in a way for uh, discovery and growth and travel and movement. Like we're never quite we're never quite uh, dissatisfied with where we are, what we're doing, or what is. Uh, and and there can be a very positive aspect of that that uh, not being satisfied. But but the shadow side of it, I think, is the um, the self judgment, and um, and not not accepting ourselves, not appreciating ourselves, not lo- not loving ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is love to you, Mark? Well, I've had to think about this a lot <laughs> since <laughs> since, um, since the first practice mm-hmm. in the seven practices is love mm-hmm. the work. Right love love the work yeah so i think love is uh is compassion and kindness and joy and equanimity which is a um you know i'm kind of cheating a bit i'm kind of leaning leaning on the uh a buddhist definition of love you know these are these what i just named are these four practices which in a way are Four practices that, in a way, describe describe love from a a Buddhist perspective of uh, com- kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. Um, I think they were. I think I think it's a pretty darn good definition. How did you become a Zen teacher? You know, I I've I've often told the story of that. Um, I was uh, I was just minding my own business. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was a a psychology undergraduate student at Rutgers University and um, and started to get uh, through reading, through reading books about, uh, actually it was a, the best college class that I had was uh, French, German, and Italian literature and translation. And, and being introduced to some of the great thinkers in the, the European tradition from you know, from different different centuries, uh, just opened opened me up to something, and that led me to start um, studying philosophy and existentialism, and which kind of brought me to uh, introduce me to different spiritual traditions, including Zen. And there, there was something there was something about the the practicalness and the mystery and the sense of Zen seemed to have a real sense of humor, mm-hmm. uh, even about it, even, even about itself. And, um, yeah, so I, I ended up taking a one year leave of absence. And during that time I, uh, went to San Francisco and, and I walked into the San Francisco Zen center one day and, and kind of fell in love with the practice the practice, the physical practice of meditation, uh, the ceremonies, uh, the study, and the people and the community of people who were, I thought, the level of uh, the level of intelligence and sincerity, I thought were a really a really compelling uh, com- combination. And 
Yeah. And, and in some way that, that 10 years of uh, being a resident at the Zen Center kind of ended up being incredibly formative in, in my, in my life, in, in my, uh, in the work that I do. Um, you know, I, I met my, I, I met my wife there. Um, and, um, yeah, and I think, I think it actually took me a long time before I actually uh, started teaching. Um, I think there's something, something, I think very, uh, Zen, Zen, I think, poses a good deal of caution about teaching. Um, you know, it's, it's like, just keep, just keep practicing, just keep practicing. And I would say that I, I did that for, I don't know, 25 or 30 years before I ever kind of stepped out and, uh, even considered, uh, teaching. Yeah. I'm wondering why that is. Do you have some ideas? You know, I, I think there's some, the, the Zen tradition, you know, so Zen, Zen in some way, uh, is a, is a particular, particular brand, a particular flavor, particular tradition, which, and, uh, but it, it leans on and it's, it grows out of the Buddhist tradition. So I think there's so much, so much breadth and depth to to understand and 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 no you know no one will ever mm. uh, you know you know even 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 if you get your PhD mm-hmm. in Buddhist studies you'll you'll only touch on particular mm-hmm. aspects. So I think um, I think there is something about uh, just wanting to uh, be as as experienced and knowledgeable as I could as I could possibly possibly be um and and still i feel like you know in truth i'm i'm not all that much of a scholar mm-hmm. uh and and uh during the 10 years that i lived at zen center I, I i was mostly interested in the practice and and it's only in the last several years that i feel like i've delved into really trying to understand buddhism and and zen and and uh and have become incredibly uh, passionate about uh, my under my my own study and my own understanding of the tradition. What do you think is the main purpose, or perhaps the ultimate purpose of the human experience? Yeah, I think uh, I think it goes back to those two things that I mentioned earlier around you know see, seeing reality, seeing reality, and maybe um, skillful means or uh, effective action. So. And I think those two things, I think the more, um, the more that, um, we're able to see, to see with clarity, the more we're enabled to actually, uh, help others and do things that, that matter. And, and the more we're actually able to step in and, and act effectively, it, it helps us to grow and see ourselves more deeply. You say meditation means living with eyes wide open. Talk to me for a moment about the connection between meditation and mindfulness. Some people confuse them. I did in the past. Yeah, I mean, there it's it's very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think. Um, I mean, there. You know, and then of course. You could ask, and what is mindfulness meditation? Mm, right, right, right. Uh, which is another another phrase. Yeah. So, but I, I think um, 
I think of meditation as a particular practice. Uh, meditation as a a practice of stepping outside of the usual activities of our lives. Uh, the practice of uh, knowing ourselves and going beyond ourselves. Uh, the practice of uh, letting go of everything. You know, I love, you know, in the in the Zen tradition, especially in Soto Zen, which is the tradition that I trained in. The founder of uh, Soto Zen, Dogen, said, you know, f- basically forget about meditation. There is no such thing as meditation. Uh, just, you know, just, just take this particular posture. Just let go of your usual, usual thinking, your usual, set, your usual um, judgments. So this is meditation. Um, you know, mindfulness. I think mindfulness is a uh, sits on. I think the early Buddhist teaching of the four foundations of mindfulness, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of our feelings, mindfulness of our mind, and mindfulness of uh, the pattern, the patterns of how we see ourselves and, and the world. So mindfulness, I think, I think of as a, uh, a series of uh, practices um, that uh, under this umbrella that we call mindfulness. Right. So, yeah, I like that uh, the meditation being just letting go, the surrender um, component. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, again, there's, I think it's also useful to think about meditation as calming the mind and, in, and insight, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, shamatha meditation as, as calming the mind and vipassana meditation as as insight. So, so I think, yeah, I, I, I don't, um, I don't want to leave listeners with this kind of this dreamy sense of meditation. Um, there's, there's also something, you know, there's also, I think a precision about meditation as well as this kind of radical, uh, flexibility. So talk to me about this idea of becoming a mindful leader. But before that, what is, a leader to you? What is your definition of a leader? Yeah, in, in some way, I like to say that we are all leaders. Um, and that uh, uh, from one perspective, of course, when we hear the word leader, we think of a particular role uh, in, you know, in an organization or a company. And that, you know, and that is a very, very specific type of leadership. But for any of us, you know, there's no avoiding working with others. So we're, you know, almost all of us are, have in, you know, so leadership is about influence, I think. Um, so we, we, if, even if we're not in a, in a leadership role now, maybe we were, maybe we will be, um, or maybe we are, uh, on, you know, on some kind of a team, even if, you know, even if you're, a a one person business, you know, you're, you're kind of leading and running, running that, you know, that, that organization and, and influencing others that you're working with. And the mindful leader, what would that be? What would that look like? Yeah. Well, the easy, the easy way out for me to answer Mm -hmm. that question is, is Mm -hmm. that it would be to follow these seven practices, (laughs) Uh, you know, that it would be, it would mean that you, are loving the work of of awareness of mindfulness so that you're actually doing the work that you're 
that you're uh, not being an expert, that you're connecting with your pain and the pain of others, that you lean into depending on others and, and that you're making it simpler. So in some way, in some way, you know, my, my writing and this book was, was in, in some sense, um, one, one attempt. It's certainly not the, the only definition, but these, uh, these seven practices are, I think, a way to talk about uh, what does it, how would I define and what does it look like uh, to practice mindful leadership? Right. And I'll be asking you uh, more questions about it. I think I selected some quotes, some passages in your book that really attracted my attention for some reason. But before that, let me ask you three more questions, those open questions. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? Yeah, I, I think it's very similar to your, you know, there's, there's a, an awful lot of overlap with, um, with uh, freedom and love and, uh, and seeing, you know, and, and seeing reality and not being caught, not being caught by our uh, limited versions of reality and limited beliefs. So I think that's, maybe that's uh, a definition of freedom is, um, yeah, not being caught by our limited beliefs. Uh, Caught in a sense of letting limiting beliefs, influence and leaders and drivers drive our behaviors would that be it yeah and i think having um having the ability to uh to respond effectively uh, appropriately you know there's that there's that uh <laughs> it's funny i what 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 i think of as famous is is uh, the, these these sort of famous um lines and stories are famous in a very narrow tradition, but, um, you know, uh, in Zen, there's a dialogue, you know, uh, you know, what, what is the, what is the most uh, essential teaching of a lifetime or, or what is the essential teaching of a thousand lifetimes? Mm -hmm. And the, and, and the answer is an appropriate response. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, um, in some way, uh, freedom, I think, is the ability to uh, respond appropriately. Right? We're always we're always responding to our uh, our environment to, to other people. If you knew you would lose the body soon, would you change anything in your life or do anything differently? Um, not really. I, I I feel like I. It's important to me that I yeah that. You know, I think so much of um, uh, mindfulness practice and Zen practice, this whole, um, you know, impermanence. And although I, um, I'm often joking that I, I, I'd like to start a support group called Buddhists Against Change, mm-hmm. um, like because that. because because I, I find my own resistance to uh, change and my own resistance to I- I- impermanence. Um, but, um, no, I feel like, uh, especially right now, this, this part of, and and it's interesting, I think here we are in a, uh, I think the pandemic, uh, has brought me and all of us closer to that question that you're asking, because we're seeing that, um, uh, life, you know, things, things are happening that we never really thought would ever, would ever happen. And that, um, and that there's a sense that sense of uncertainty, 
and living living in that sense of uncertainty um, is a close relative, I think, to your the question you're asking about about the shortness of life and and death. Um, yeah, so I I feel like I'm uh, you know for the most you know for the most part uh, living uh, just as I as I want to be living, and I I I'm not I wouldn't make if if someone said I had a very short time left to live. Um, yeah, not not very many not very many changes that I can think of. So, how did you become a writer, Mark? Oh, am I a writer? <laughs> oh, well, it's a title, I guess. <laughs> Those who write books or anything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think um when I was in 3rd grade, <laughs> uh we um I was introduced to the 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 form of a poem called the limerick. And and I remember limericks just came pouring out of me in third grade. And I thought there was something miraculous about words and words as, as with, as music and poetry and, and meaning, uh, and connecting, connecting through words. So I think I've always been fond of, uh, language and, and words. And, uh, and then oddly enough, I think, uh, when after my 10 years at the Zen Center, I went to business school. I went to New York University Business School and, and wrote a, one of the papers I wrote there was um, uh, comparing, uh, I was comparing two different books. I was comparing Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind with a business book called In Search of Excellence. And, and somehow out of, when I, when I was rereading that paper, I thought this this could be a book. This would be a really interesting book to talk about uh, Zen and business. And and little by little, that book, that writing grew into my first book, uh, ZBA, Zen of Business Administration. And and then from there, I got kind of got hooked. Like I I I really love uh, having uh, having a book project and taking taking ideas and, and, um, letting them, letting them shepherd. It's like a shepherding process. I'm, I'm in another one right now. I'm kind of shepherding my next, my next book, uh, which I don't quite know what it is, but, and I, I like that, that part of the process and, uh, and as well as rail against it. Like I, like it's very frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> right. Not to know. But, but, not, yeah. When is when is it going to? But then it's like just um, something about uh, just uh, keeping at it and seeing and and seeing seeing what emerges. In the way it writes itself, that's what has been my experience. The books I wrote, they just wrote it themselves. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes combination, combination, combination. of letting. Yeah. Letting them write themselves and and sweat and hard work. Right. Yeah. So true. Yes. There's a passage that I have here because it's really interesting. You say becoming aware or more conscious of the pains and possibilities of our experience of what is actually happening, whether that is 
in the world of work, community, family, relationships, or spirituality is inconvenient and uncomfortable. So this is one of the practices in your book, or part of of one of the practices. Talk to me for a moment about pain and possibility. Yeah, there, you know, that that could have been the name of the book. Uh, Good title. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I think that um, you know, there's no avoiding pain, and there's something healing, wonderful. You know, the the pain of uh, knowing that we're only here for a short time, the pain that we will lose everything, Uh, the pain of of racism uh, and our history and poverty, and so there's. There's no shortage of pain, so but there's something uh, something I think uh, so uh, important about not not pushing it away, and there's also um, no shortage of possibility, which is also pretty pretty interesting. That um, like just uh, we we have these incredible uh, imaginations and that our ability to imagine healing and ability to imagine a uh, a way that we create invent come together love each other yeah so i mean that's that's i think that's being a being a human being is um somehow this um this this great mix of uh of pain and possibility and i wonder why most of us have this habit of pushing away pain, trying to lean toward always pleasure and what makes us feel good. Yeah, I mean, who wants pain? I mean, of course, it's just I, I think it's um, it's the most natural. It's the most natural thing, you know that that um, yeah, it's it's a uh, our our effort to uh, to stay alive, right? That we we and it's we we want to. Of course, you know when we touch something hot, we 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 pull away. We don't right. want to feel, and, and that it keeps it keeps us alive. But uh, many many, it's easy to take that way too far and uh, avoid. You know, uh, you know, just uh, anytime you're feeling uh, the slightest bit of pain, you know, to pop a pill or right. Uh, right. or to pre- pretend it's not there, and um, so. Yeah, it's, it's a process. This habit of trying to run from pain all the time, it doesn't seem like uh, it's coming from a wise place with space in us. Yeah, or especially I think this um, avoiding of uh, change and right. impermanence. And, yeah. and I think that's where, you know, going back to where, where, you start, where we started this conversation about you know these highfalutin topics of of uh, of reality and freedom, and that um, yeah, somehow how we how we exist in uh, in, in time and and uh, yeah, and this recognition of uh, of change is um, is so much a you know, but but it has but how we can you know it's easy it's easy to say things 
like that or easy to say things like life is short or uh, but but to um, embody embody these practices and live these practices and um, and let and let others live live these practices another idea that you bring up which is not a new idea but it's so important to me it feels like it's important the idea of embracing failure that most of us run from <laughs> how do we learn to embrace failure and uh, do the opposite yeah just seeing i think that it's how we um one there's you know there's there seems to be no uh no avoiding it mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, even, and, and even, it's interesting, even looking at, um, uh, you know, one of the teachings I really like is, you know, do you, do you live with a closed fist or an open hand? And, and, you know, so if you, um, you know, if you knock accidentally, you know, knock over your coffee in the morning, mm-hmm. are you, are you all tight and and, you know, or, or is it, you know, like I failed, you know, oops, I, you know, and, 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 and that, uh, that little, that little example, if you can start to extend that into larger, larger and larger, uh, failure. So it's like, oh, I, you know, I really messed, I really messed up there. I, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have that meeting on my calendar or, um, or, I said I said something uh, I said something really hurtful, and I um, I wish I could take that back. I'm I'm going to need to really um, acknowledge that and and uh, and apologize. And so, just um, you know, f- again, failure is a a, a kind of um, a powerful a powerful story and judgment and 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 a story and judgment that we can all learn a lot from. If we are open and aware, right? If you're if you're if you're open and aware, and 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 of course, you know, and even if um, you know, even if I knock over my coffee and I tighten up and I tighten up, it's like, oh, there I am. Isn't that interesting? I'm tightening up over. You know, it's like why? Right. Right. Oh, it becomes fun actually as a practice. Always to ask why. Why am I feeling this way? Why this? Why that? But in a light way. I made a note about imagination you mentioned earlier and thinking. Do you feel a different quality when you are imagining and when you are thinking? Yeah, I mean, these are, these are words that, you know, we, we have no idea really what, what imagination is or what thinking is. Right. <laughs> we That's think true. we do. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can we can we can imagine what we do but but i think in general in general as we the way that we use these words you know i think um maybe imagination perhaps is a subset of thinking a, a lot of our thinking is uh you know maybe is uh worrying and ruminating and planning uh but somehow the word imagine the word imagination at least for me, feels um, very uplifting and is much more about um, about what's possible and and seeing uh, seeing seeing the present differently or seeing the future differently. Uh, so something I think uh, incredible and about about 
are these imaginations that we have. Yeah, there's something freeing about imagining. Like you said, connected to the word possibility. Yeah, they can, imagination. Um, uh, did you ever read the, um, oh, what's the name of this book? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't quite, I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble um, grasping the name of the book, but it's a, it's a book about, uh, it's a, a Frenchman who had some kind of a, I think an aneurysm or something, and he lost lost all all movement, all sensation in his body. Uh, but he, um, oh, the diving bell and the butterfly. Mm, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he is able to blink one of his eyes, and and one of the nurses uh, is able to uh, communicate uh, with him through his blinking. And he writes the book, and and he talks about how he's able to experience the finest food in the world, you know, while he's in his hospital bed using, using his um, imagination. I have a few more questions for you. I would say two more questions. Would you like to add anything, Mark, or read a passage in your book? Sure. <laughs> uh, I'll take, I, I would take that, that opportunity. Um, I wasn't, it's funny, it's been a while, um, but uh, maybe just a paragraph or so yeah. from the from from the epilogue why is mindful leadership and being a human being so difficult why does it take so much attention and effort to be present to wake up to our lives to discover again and again that we are not here long and to pay attention to what is in our heart to what is right here to what is most obvious and most important right now Reflecting on this, I can't help but think about my friends, the three apes who play a central metaphoric role in this book. They represent the evolution of our bodies, minds, and hearts, and our primary needs for safety, satisfaction, and connection. Human beings did not evolve, were not designed to see clearly, but primarily to survive, to pass on our genes. Being a mindful leader requires effort because it requires letting go of old constructed realities, the norms that no longer serve us, that no longer serve us, our organizations or our families, living with clarity and depth, living a mindful, integrated, warm-hearted life takes practice. Maybe that's enough reading. That says a lot. I mean, your book is rich with so much information, valuable information and practices and tips and suggestions. I mean, it's incredibly well written and there's a lot of clarity in your book. Thank you so much for your message and your mission in this reality, Mark. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure uh, having this conversation. What is another word for healing? Loving. What are three things about life you know for sure as of now? Oh, I, I don't, I, it, I, I'm not sure what I, what I know for sure. What I, yeah, what I'm sure of is that there's very little I know for sure. So it has been a peaceful conversation. Thank you, Mark, for your presence and your wisdom, sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you very much. I do have one more technical question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? 
my website, which is marklesser.net. It's M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R.net. And um, yeah, I uh, lots of um, upcoming, starting to do more and more uh, online courses for that anyone can take and also inside of companies. And um, yeah, I also do a have a limited number of um, executive coaching clients. Um, and I'd find myself doing trainings and workshops for lots of different kinds of organizations. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Mark Lesser and his work, please visit marklesser.net. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.